And in Isaiah chapter nine, starting in verse six, he's talking about this, this Messiah who's gonna come. He says, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas. It is, uh, it's good, joyful to be together on, on Christmas Eve. You know, behind every name is a story. I'm sure there's a story behind your name. Consider the story that's behind the name Alexa. Alexa, I didn't, I didn't grow up with anybody named Alexa. That was not a common name for baby boomers to have. But in 1986, uh, singer Billy Joel and his supermodel wife, Christy Brinkley, had a girl, and they named her Alexa. And overnight, the name became popular, and lots of parents began naming their baby girls Alexa. The Census Bureau says that in America, there are over 130,000 girls by the name of Alexa. And the name peaked in popularity around 2015 or so, with 6,000 girls that year being named Alexa. And then the name just suddenly stopped being used, just dropped in dramatic numbers because in, 19, uh, in 2014, uh, Amazon named their virtual assistant Alexa. Yeah, exactly. Imagine what that did to these women. There was an article not long ago in the Washington Post that said, Amazon, can we have our name back? And it interviewed a number of women who talked about how they're on the receiving end of a lot of jokes, as you can imagine, and how in certain environments they can't say their name because it sets off all of these devices. And uh, things have changed quite a bit with the name Alexa. There's always, there's some kind of story behind a person's name. Two months ago, we uh, were blessed with our seventh grandchild, and I was prepared on Sunday morning to come and share that good news with you. The baby was born on Friday night, called my son, said, okay, what's the name? And I uh, said, Dad, we, we don't have a name yet. We're working on it. I said, okay, cool. You keep working on it. Saturday, the end of the day, I said, all right, what did you name him? Well, we still don't have a name. And I said, you know, they're not going to let you out of the hospital until you have a name for that baby, right? He says, yeah, 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 I know. We're going home tomorrow morning. Okay, well, Sunday morning, I'm here host at worst. I, w- I want to show you pictures. I want to brag on this baby. What do I say? Here's our baby. No name, but uh, we've got another grandchild. So I chose not to do that. So finally, they gave the name Brady Joseph. And so now on Christmas Eve, I get to show you about 72 pictures. Uh, <laughs> of Brady, yeah, yes, grandchild number seven. Behind the name Brady Joseph Watts is a story. You know, when a, when a child is born, there's two things we want to know. It's gender and it's name. Now, because of ultrasounds, almost everybody knows the gender ahead of time. That kind of mystery is gone, but the name. You want to know ahead of time what that name is. I mean, you want to, you want to find out what that name is because it's such a big deal. Behind every, 
every name, there's, there's a story. And when you take Christmas and you strip away all of the stuff that's been added to it and all the extras and all of the frills and you boil it down to its most essential thing, it's about the birth of a baby, which means it's about a name. But this name is unlike any other name. This is a name that towers over every other name. Nothing even comes close. So this Christmas Eve, I want us to consider the power of this name. For a long time, it was a mystery, a mysterious name, as there were little hints about the coming of one who would deliver his people. In fact, many scholars believe that the first hint is found in the third chapter of our Bible, Genesis chapter 3. This is where sin enters the world. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates this perfect world, gives it to us, and by the beginning of chapter 3, our first parents are blowing it, and sin enters the world, and they their relationship with God is severed. And as God is, is uh, meeting out consequences to Adam and Eve and the serpent that deceived them, he says to the serpent, you'll crawl on your belly all of your days and I will put enmity between you and the woman's offspring. You shall strike him on the heel, but he will crush your head. And many believe, they said it's interesting because it switches to the first person, not all of her descendants. Now, this descendant of Adam and Eve doesn't like snakes at all, but, but, but there's one that he's referring to, and he will crush your head. The first reference to this deliverer is a snake killer, the one who will vanquish evil from the world. Well, if there's going to be born one into the world who will do this, we need a family. And so God begins to um, put together a perfect family for this child to be born. Well, I say perfect. No, very imperfect family. But puts together a family. And he begins with a man who walked by faith, a man named Abram. And he tells him to leave his familiar territory and move to this new place. And in the course of time, God changes his name. Now, in biblical times, a name meant something. And the meaning of that name was significant because it spoke of the person's character. It said something about them and who they were. Well, his name was Abram. And Abram literally means exalted father. Now, I suspect this name had to be a source of, of pain to him because he and Sarah were childless in an era when to be childless was, was um, a social real disgrace and problem. And so God, though, says that he's going to bring descendants into the world. And, and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And yet, he still doesn't have a child, still doesn't have a son by which he can be the heir. And then one day, against all odds, there's this angelic visitation, and they're told that Sarah, in her old age, is going to give birth to a son. Now, talking to Abram, Abraham and Sarah was in the tent listening to all this. Sarah's in her 80s, mind you. If you're in your 80s here, can you imagine being told that you're going to have a child? Okay, can you imagine the grandma at the nursing home being told she's going to have a child? What would you do? You'd laugh. That's what, that's what Sarah does. She laughs. 
And you know what they name their firstborn son when he's miraculously born? Isaac, which means laughter. So Isaac then later grows up, marries Rebekah. And they also have some fertility problems, and, but they are able to have twins. And as the firstborn is coming out of the womb, holding on to his ankle is his brother. And Esau is born first. And then this brother is given the name Jacob. Now, Jacob had some significance to the meaning. It meant surplanter. It meant deceiver. He was holding on to his brother's ankle. If you're named Jacob, it's a lovely name. I'm sorry. Don't want to offend anybody. Love the name Jacob. Uh, we almost named one of our sons Jacob. When our second-born son was, we couldn't decide ourselves on what to name him. It was going to be Jacob or David. What is it going to be? Jacob or David. So finally, an hour after he's born, I pick him up, hold him in front of Linda, and I say, what, what is he? Jacob or David? She goes, he's a David. Okay, so he got the name. But we like the name Jacob, but it means deceiver. The thing about Jacob, though, this one, is he lived into his name. He lived it out. He became a schemer. He was always trying to rip people off. He was always trying to, to get advantage over people. And, and uh, to whatever would help him, whatever would advance his cause, that was what Jacob was about. And, and there was this divine call in his family. Jacob wouldn't have anything f with it. He was running from God, and he kept God at arm's distance. He kind of wrestled with God. You ever wrestle with God? You ever wrestle with his purposes for your life? So you maybe could relate to Jacob. Well, one night... When he is traveling and fearful for his life because his brother Esau, who he ripped off badly before, is out to get him. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to be killed. Let me tell you, you get sober real quick when you think you're going to die. And all of a sudden, Jacob is facing his own demise. And he gets serious with God that night. And a mysterious man shows up at his tent. And they get in a wrestling match, a literal wrestling match that goes on for hours and hours. And so finally, the sun begins to come up, and this wrestler, this mysterious man, touches him on the hip, and his hip goes out of socket. And in pain, he crumbles to the ground. And this man looks at him, he says, from now on, you will be called Israel. For you have wrestled with God and have prevailed. His name is changed from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, which means literally he wrestles with God. Now, two questions I have about that name that come up from that renaming. 17 times in the Bible, by the way, people have their names changed, and there's a change in mission and a change in identity. That is, said so you prevailed? Wait a minute, didn't he lose the wrestling match? Didn't this stronger man touch his hip and it went out of socket? Oh, yeah, but that's it. To, to prevail when you wrestle with God is to surrender. When you surrender to God's purposes, you win. That's prevailing. And then, what's this? He wrestled with God business. Who was that that he was wrestling with? Well, Jacob Israel now, he wants to know. And so he looks at this stranger after this whole encounter, and he says, what is your name? And he just looked at him and said, why do you ask? And he leaves. Many believe that this same mysterious man showed up 
later in exile when the children of Israel were in Babylon and three faithful Hebrew sons were trying to stay true to God and the king of that place throws them into a fiery furnace for their demise and much to his surprise these men are walking around the furnace and he stands up and he sees these men alive and not even singed by the fire says wait a minute did we throw three people in there three men in there why do I see four and the fourth has the appearance of one of the son of one of the gods so there were these mysterious appearances and then as things begin to get bleak for the people of God just like they got bleak for Jacob that night there's more and more talk about a coming deliverer a messiah an anointed one who would deliver his people there's little glimpses here and there little mentions little suggestions but then in Isaiah chapter 9 we have what was read for us earlier When Isaiah the prophet says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Wait a minute. I thought this was a king, you know, like in David's line, just another king, but a holier king, a greater king. What do you mean, mighty God, everlasting Father? Who is this child? Who is this one to be born? What's his name? For a long time, the people wondered and looked and cried out and hoped and dreamed and prayed for this deliverer to come, not knowing what it was all about, but that somebody great was coming. Who is this? What name is given this child? When I have the privilege of baptizing infants, Ask the parent as they stand before the congregation, what name is given this child? And, and they'll, they'll give the name, usually the full name, first, middle, last. And we pronounce that name and we baptize that child. But this child, what name do you give? A wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Well, fast forward to the first century 400 years, God has not spoken. 400 quiet, silent years. And an angel comes to a young woman, many believe teenage girl, in the little town of Nazareth, and says that she is going to bring this one into the world. When her fiancé, Joseph, hears about it, he's so distraught and heartbroken that uh, Mary was pregnant, that he was going to because those days engagement was as binding as marriage, he was going to divorce her. When an angel comes to him in a dream one night and said, don't do that, Joseph. This is from God. And she is bringing the one into the world who will deliver the world. He gives him the name. First time it's mentioned. But then fast forward nine months later, they're in Bethlehem. The time has come for the baby to be born. And think about it. The hope of the ages, uh, the the longing and desiring of the people of Israel. This child is born. And the first time any human being speaks its name, it's from the soft, 
sweet voice of a teenage girl. His name will be called Jesus. No more beautiful name in all the world. When the angel speaks to Joseph and says to give him the name Jesus, he tells him why. Remember, the name means a lot. Jesus is um, English for Yeshua. And Yeshua, taken into Greek, becomes Iesus. From Greek, Iesus into English becomes Jesus. But in Hebrew, Yeshua means the Lord saves. You will give him the name Jesus because the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins, the angel says. Now that's wonderful news and beautiful news. But it's hard news to hear that the problem with the world is our sin. You see, for a long time, the people of God suffered under the the boot of Rome and Greece before that and Babylon before that, and they thought that was their problem. They thought the oppressors, those were the problem. But he says he will save his people from their sins. Of the past couple months, as people have looked at world events, I've had two or three people in conversation say, Ron, what's wrong with the world? War and cruelty and terrorism and awful things done by human beings to other human beings. I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world is sin. But it's not just their sin. Mine. He will save his people from their sins. I need saving. You need saving. A lot of the people of God heard that and they said, no, no thank you. Rome's the problem, that's the problem, not me. So John, when he tells us the Christmas story, he tells it a little differently. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to those who received him, To those who believed on his name, he he gave the right to become children of God. Those who will humble themselves and say, I need saving. My problem is me. You get a whole new identity. Your your identity, it's, it's changed and shaped forever because you are now a son or daughter of the Most High God. He will save his people. It's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful name. Charles Wesley, one of the greatest hymn writers in history, one of his verses says, Jesus, the name that calms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. The name of Jesus is life. And if you believe in it, you are given eternal life beginning right now, right here, on into the future. His name is health. He becomes the healer of our soul, the great physician who puts us right with God and one day will put everything right. And peace, he is the prince of peace. Shalom, he'll give you fullness, he'll wellness, wholeness. 
is restored in his name. That's why the name of Jesus is a beautiful name. That's a wonderful name. Paul later, who was an enemy of Christ, comes to meet Jesus on a road one day traveling to persecute Christians, finds Jesus, and his world has changed, and he leaves for us in this letter to the Philippian church, one of the most beautiful, highest expressions of who Jesus is that's ever been written. It's a real practical contest. He's telling the church, you all need to get along. You need to have unity. And he says, you need to be like Jesus, who, we'll pick up with verse 6, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see, Adam was made in the image of God. He was given the whole world. He had everything, but he wanted more. He wanted to grasp for more, so he grasped for the, the fruit. And he disobeyed God. This one, though, doesn't grasp for war. He has it all and lays it down. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's a wonderful name. How wonderful is it? That real power isn't grasping onto it or reaching for it and wanting more and holding on to what you have. Real power is having it and letting it go. Laying yourself down. Remember, how is it you prevail with God when you wrestle with God? You surrender. That's prevailing. And what did Jesus do on that night before the cross? He wrestled with God of because of all of the implications of what it would mean to be the sin bearer. And he said, Father, take this cup from me. And they, he prays and he wrestles. He sweats drops of blood. But in the end, he says, not my will, but yours be done. He surrenders. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that the greatest love is self-giving Love, sacrificial love. When you see sacrifice, it inspires you. And if you've ever wondered if a name means much, take a trip sometime and go to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. For there you will see etched in granite over 56,000 names. Men and women who died in Vietnam. Back in 88 or 89, I forget which year, um, it had just been set up in D.C., and there was a, a, a miniature replica about one-third of the size that was traveling around the country. They brought it here at Cape Girardeau. It was out in the West Park Mall. And I remember wanting to go see this, so we went and saw it. And I wasn't prepared for the sheer emotion that day. Now, I didn't know anybody who served in Vietnam. It wasn't my generation. But I saw people there looking and searching. And when they'd find the name, some of them would get a pencil and they'd, they'd hold a piece of paper up to it and they'd etch it so they'd have the, uh, the imprint. I saw whole families huddled together weeping. I saw a couple tough dudes who must have been Vietnam vets. They were reduced to tears and sobbing. Some would fall to their knees. There's power in a name. But not just any name the name of a loved one who died for his country. 
And this one, the greatest one, the one with all authority and power, picked up a cross and died to solve this problem the world has called sin. It's a wonderful name, but it doesn't end there. This one who went to the lowest place, this one who surrendered it all, Paul goes on to say, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess in heaven and every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This one who descended and chose the lowest place God looks at his life and stamps it with the greatest exclamation point ever imprinted on a life. He died. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. So now, this one who went to the lowest place is given the highest place, is the most exalted name. His name is the greatest name in all history. In fact, his name is the demarcation line in human history. It's not everything that you hear in this world. It's not between democratic or communist countries. It's not between conservatives and, and liberals. It's not between Republicans and Democrats, rich, poor, white, black, south, north. It, no, 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 no. The greatest line of demarcation in this world is those who claim the name and those who have yet to do so. Your destiny and mine is determined by this powerful name. It's the most powerful name of all. Um, Matt Leroy wrote this past week these words. He said, Jesus, what a beautiful name. The history of the world hangs on this name. Martyrs have laid their lives down for it. Sinners have found forgiveness in it. The sick have found healing in it. The dead have been raised to life because of it. Slaves have found freedom through it. Addicts have found restoration in it. Doubters have found faith in it. Scholars have searched layer after layer of mysterious truth and still can't find the end of it. At the mention of his name, hell trembles, earth sings, and heaven's gates are open wide. This name. This name that cannot be contained with just five letters, J-E-S-U-S. It takes dozens of names to contain who this one is. Because he's Emmanuel. God with us. He's wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The Prince of peace, the son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wings, the rock, the deliverer, the fortress that the righteous run into, the root of David, the holy one of Israel, the true vine, the good shepherd, the door for the sheep to enter into, the light of the world, the bread of life, the way, the truth, the life, son of God, son of man, king of kings, Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the author and perfecter of our faith, the Word of God, the Bridegroom, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the cornerstone, the image of the invisible God, Redeemer, Savior, Dayspring, the bright morning star, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the treasure hidden in a field, the pearl of great price, the Lord of heaven and earth. It's a beautiful name, wonderful name, a powerful name. There is a name I love to hear. It's music in my, I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. It's name, that name has been engraved deeply upon the heart of every person that has claimed it by God himself. It's the name I want to say the first thing in the morning, and it's the last word I want on my lips at night. Jesus. Jesus. Behind every name, there's a story. But behind this name, the earth can't contain the books to tell the stories. Have you claimed the name? All of earth is divided and, de- and, and split down the middle between this name. Have you claimed it? If you claim it, it'll mean life and health and peace. It'll be everything you've longed for in this name. Because those who claim the name, he gives the right to become sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that behind every name's a story and behind this one, what a story. Stories upon stories upon stories. Thank you for this name above all names that you came into this world and that did not hold on to your advantages, but you let it go. You surrendered. And the greatest surrender becomes the greatest exaltation. I pray for those here who maybe are on the fence about this name, who are still trying to decide that they would say yes and claim the name because it's the only name that matters. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for this gift of this child and this name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you liked this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out lacroixchurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.